a hard one to follow here after celebrating Curtis and, and, and Nancy and what they mean to our body here. And I know he's going to continue to serve in just a little bit different way. And um, he won't have his office in here in the corner anymore. And, uh, but Curtis will be around. And, and uh, there'll be no real retirement in the sense of serving the Lord. That never ends. And we're thankful for that. And, um, and uh, as, as Brian mentioned here, the other Brian, there's a few, now we have three elders that are named Brian. Uh, you can call me Brian number three. All right, that's fine with me. Uh, but, but Brian Herzog mentioned out here, uh, we just hope you'll stay for some hors d'oeuvres and dessert. And there's been, I've been informed there's more than enough for everybody to have plenty. And usually that we have leftover. Please don't let there be any leftovers today. Curtis wants us to eat up in, in honor of he and, and, and Nancy, right? To eat up on, on uh, behalf of them. Well, um, also thankful for, uh, just as we sang, the word of God has spoken. And my prayer this morning, and I hope your prayer is that the word of God would speak to us today. I hope it's our prayer every Sunday as we gather as his people to worship him through song, through prayer, through the preaching of the word, through fellowship. All those are forms of worship, and, and that's our, our, our prayer that that would happen now at this time as we look at his word together. So uh, this morning, um, well, I better do this before my, my wife is, is smiling at me here. Yeah, well, she smiles all the time, but she's, I can, there's a certain kind of smile when she smiles at me. You know what I'm saying, right? Yeah, it's like, Hey, don't forget to introduce yourself because there might be some people here who are new. So my name is Brian McKenzie, and I do have the privilege to serve as one of the elders here at the Potter's House. And a couple times a month, I have the privilege to be able to stand before you and, and by God's grace, uh, deliver his word. So we're thankful you're here and thankful that you can join with us this morning and worship through the word. So uh, we are in this series uh, working through the two letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy and the title of the series is Be Strong in Grace. And this morning, we'll be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. We're in the last chapter of these two uh, letters, uh, starting the last chapter. And the message this morning is entitled, Preach the Word. Preach the Word. And you're thinking, oh boy, <laughs> preach the Word. Uh, um, and I would say, oh boy, uh, this is an awesome passage, so looking forward to to. Uh, sharing it with you. But before we dig into these two verses, we want to take some time, as we always do, to review. So we set these in context. We say this all the time here, and it's just true, and we need to remind ourselves all the time, is that the most important thing about when you're studying God's Word is context. And the second most important thing is context. And the third most important thing is context, right? Context, context, context. Because if we don't get in context, we'll mis misunderstand what God is trying to say to us. And so we don't want to do that. And if we misunderstand what, misunderstand what it means, then we'll misapply God's word. And that can happen to any of us. We can pull things out of context and make them say about whatever we want. So we're going to look at the context. So last week, Jay walked through 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 16, a wonderful passage of Scripture. And, and he illustrated this passage of Scripture. If you remember, if you're here, if you're not, I'm going to remind all of us and maybe inform some of us this, this morning. He, he illustrated the, 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 one of the main points of this passage by going to a very familiar story in Daniel 3, um, where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were faced with a choice, a, a very serious choice, uh, maybe a life and death in some ways choice that they were faced with. And, and most people, even though they haven't even read the Bible, have heard the story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Well, uh, the question that, and the choice that they were facing, would, would they fall down and worship the image that the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar 
had made. And every time I, I, I think about this, I think about VeggieTales. Anybody seen the VeggieTales on this one? The, the chocolate bunny? I, that's really probably bad that's in my head, all right? But he makes this huge chocolate bunny or this huge statue, right? This idol. And they've been told everyone must bow down when, they, when they, they sing and they play the music. Everyone must bow down and worship this idol. Or they, to do that, or they could obey God's word that they had learned from childhood that called them to have no other gods before the one true God and to never bow down and worship idols. Would they obey the king of this world or would they obey the king of the universe and his word that clearly said they can't bow down and worship this idol? Well, as we, if you know the story, they chose to obey God and his word rather than man. Regardless of the consequences being, of being thrown into the fiery furnace, they decided to obey God and his word. And God, as we, if you know the story, he miraculously rescues them out of the fire. They get out of the fire, and there's not even any, there's not even, they don't even smell like smoke. It's an amazing miracle. And, and he obviously does this. He, he does this for his glory. And what happens is that Nebuchadnezzar and the people around begin to worship and say, this is the one true God. This is the one true God. Well, Jay pointed out in our, in our passage in 2 Timothy that Timothy faced a, a very similar choice, uh, a very difficult choice that he faced. Either he would bow down and give up or give in to the, the false teachers that were all around him and those that he was ministering to, or he would obey God's word that he had learned from childhood that was able to give him wisdom that led to salvation. Uh, you see, the word of God that does it without error and sufficient for all things for followers of Jesus. And, and, and Timothy knew that. And he chose to do the right thing. He chose to follow God's word that he learned from childhood. Jay pointed out that part of the reason that Timothy knew God's word was because his mother and grandmother invested God's word into him. And we see that in our passage from last week. Uh, Jay challenged all of us. We've been challenging for, seems like, two years now. You know, what's your plan, right? What's your plan when it comes to getting into God's word? Because God uses his word to transform us, to make us more and more like Jesus. What's your plan? Well, Jay told us to look beyond that. What's our plan to do what Timothy's mother and grandmother did to him? Invest God's word into your children. Do you have a plan? If we don't have a plan, right, we, we, we know if you fail to plan, you plan to, you plan to fail. If you don't have a plan, you're planning to fail and investing God's word into your children so that they one day can invest it into their children and they can invest it into their children and continue to pass down the truth of God's word. Well, if you don't have a plan, let, let me recommend something to you very strongly. All right, this book right here is called the Jesus Storybook Bible. I love the subtitle, Every Story Whispers His Name. And it goes through the, the main stories of the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and every single story points back to Jesus. Because you know what? Every single story in the Bible, every single book of the Bible, chapter of the Bible, ultimately points back to the person of Jesus Christ, our Savior. So I, we, we have, do we still have some of these back here? If you, if you would like one of these, if we run out, we'll buy more, all right? 
you need to grab hold of this. I'm telling you, it, we've been through this a n- number of times with our kids, and I love reading it. I'm learning, and I'm seeing how every story whispers the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you don't have a plan, we've got a plan for you. How about that? Take this with you. Uh, ask somebody. We'll get you one. If we run out, give us your name. We'll order another. We'll make sure everybody who wants one of these can have this. And have a plan for your children to pass on his word. So they too, when they're faced with choices like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and faced with a choice like Timothy had, they'll make the choice to follow God's word that was invested in them from their childhood. Well, with that said, and with that review, let's now turn our, pa- our attention to our passage of Scripture this morning. Uh, let's stand with me, if you would, as we always do here at the Potter's House, and we read God's Word together. This is our passage this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Would you read this with me? I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instructions. And now, Lord, we ask that you would speak to us through your word today as you promised. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, before we dive into these two verses uh, we just read, let me ask you to consider briefly this. We live in a world where people and organizations are promoting their messages aggressively and without apology more than any other time in the history of our world. Social media and and, and media in general have an agenda. In fact, they have multiple agendas. They're all out to suck you in to their certain ideology or their way of thinking and and to get you addicted and controlled by by, by the way of thinking they want you to think. Consider the fact there's only two industries in this world that call their consumers users. The illegal drug industry and social media. Think about that. It's the only two industries in the world that call their consumers users. Does that say anything to us? They know exactly what they're doing. The founder of Facebook, they said knew exactly what they're doing. And some of you young people say, well, I don't even do Facebook. Well, you know what? All the other social media, TikTok and Instagram and all that other, and and I guess X now or whatever it used to be, Twitter or whatever, all that, they're even more committed to making you a user. Think about that for a second with me. We spend hours listening to and reading things from people we've never met. Things we're not sure can be trusted and some things we know can't be trusted. And yet we invest hours of our days and weeks listening to these voices. I want to lovingly charge you as one of your shepherds here to stop going to things that are not trustworthy as a source of truth and start spending your time going to the only sure and trustworthy source of truth, and that's God's word. The only one. God's word is the only sure and trustworthy source of truth, and that is why here at the Potter's House we are committed to expository preaching, which means we preach to expose the meaning of the Bible. And we're even more committed, we're committed to consecutive, what's called consecutive exposition, going through books of the Bible, verse by verse, line by line, through the Bible, so we stay in context. And, And we do this 
because we believe there's no other kind of preaching. I love what a pastor in, in, in Cleveland, Ohio, named Alistair Begg says. He says, we are on the wrong track if we think of expositor preaching merely as a preaching style chosen from a list, like topical, devotional, evangelistic, textual, apologetic, prophetical, like it's a list, part of the list. As John Stott says, all true preaching is expository preaching. And I would like to add to this. If it's not expository preaching, explaining the meaning of the text, it's not preaching. Call it what you will. It's not preaching. It might be a nice talk about something. It might be a TED talk. But it is not preaching the word. Preaching the word exposes the meaning of the text. So why are we so committed to expository preaching? Because we believe the Bible gives no other option. That's the, the example we have in the Bible. Well, our passage of Scripture this morning makes that perfectly clear. Look at our passage again with me. Let me read it again. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is a judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. So as we examine these verses in 2 Timothy, we're going to ask and answer four questions to help us better understand the call to preach the word so that we can Glorify God as a local body, as a local group of followers of Jesus. And those four questions here, I'll give them to you, are this. What does it mean to preach the word? When to preach the word? How to preach the word? And why preach the word? All right, and, and I'll just tell you right now, we're going to spend the majority of our time on the fourth question. All right, why preach the word? Um, I just, I just want to tell you this. I've asked a lot of people to be praying. There's so much here. This could be a 10-week series in itself. Jay would agree with me. He knows that. Um, throwing last week's passage, this week would be a 10-week series in itself. We got one, more, one Sunday morning, right? And I've been, I was taking stuff out of my notes yesterday. I had so much. I just wanted to share, and I can't share it all. We don't have the time to do that. But, but just, just hang on, Okay. Hang on this morning. So let's begin by asking that first question uh, to help us better understand the call to preach the word. What does it mean to preach the word? Well, to answer this question, we must answer the, the, the question, what does it mean to preach? All right? So look at that word there in, in 2 Timothy 2, uh, 4, 2. Notice that word preach. All right? This word means to publicly announce or herald truth. And in the New Testament, this word became synonymous, meaning herald or proclaim the truth of God's word. That's what this word means, to preach. It was the same word used for one who was a spokesman or a herald for an emperor or someone in authority. This person would speak with, with great authority because he had the authority from the emperor. And maybe it went something like this. Hear ye, hear ye. I come with a message from the king. Thus says the king. That's, that's where this word came from. And the herald was called to, to, to deliver the exact message from that king or ruler with no alteration to the message. This is the same way, way the word is to be preached. Thus says the Lord. Hear, hear ye, hear ye, the king of the universe has an announcement to make. That's what this word means. The phrase preach the word is also an imperative, meaning it's a command. It's not an option. It wasn't say, you know, if you feel like preaching the word, 
preach the word. If you don't feel like preaching the word, don't preach. It doesn't say that. It says preach the word. There's no other option but to preach the word. This proclamation is meant not only to inform the head, listen, but to engage the heart. Preaching is to be with precision and passion. And what is it that we are to preach? Well, we see there in verse 2. Preach the word. Preach the word. What is the word? The definite article there, and it's there in, in, in the original language. Sometimes we add them, but it's actually there in the original language. The word, or the word, depending on what side of the county you're from, okay? It's either the word or the word. I'm from the south. we probably say the word, all right? But the word. In chapter 2, Paul referred to the word as the word of God and the word of truth. The context that we're in right now clearly points to the fact that we're to preach the word of God, the scriptures. If you look back in your Bibles, if you look on the screen, just back a couple verses. And remember, the verses were not here in the original, meaning the numbers were not here. So sometimes we miss the context. There's a new chapter, but don't let that chapter get in the way of what Paul is saying here. Listen to what it says in, in verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for, for, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All Scripture is synonymous with the Word of God. And what constitutes all Scripture? Well, verse 15, right before this one, refers to the sacred writings, and we understand that to be the Old Testament. We know that the reference here to all Scripture is at least the Old Testament, the first 39 books of our Bible that we have. Uh, the, the word scripture is used 51 times in the New Testament and always refers, except for two different times, to the Old Testament. And, it's in, and a couple of those times it doesn't refer to the Old Testament, it refers to the New Testament. And one of those times is when Peter is referring to Paul's writings. If you want to write this reference down, you can look at it later, 2 Peter 3.16. Let me give you a little trick here. Write down the number first and the book next, and then you won't forget all right, 2 Peter 3.16, Paul actually, Peter actually refers to Paul's writings as Scripture, and he equates them as the same authority as the Old Testament. And Paul quotes from Jesus in the Gospels and says it's Scripture. Right? So not only do we have the Old Testament as part of all Scripture, but we have the New Testament, the 27 books of the New Testament, 66 books, and the Word of God that he's given us are all Scripture. This is what we are to preach from Genesis to Revelation. We don't have the liberty to pick and choose what we like or don't like. We are to preach the word, God's word, all 66 books. And, and that's what, what we, we do here each Sunday. So why does it, what does it mean to preach the word? Well, it means to herald or proclaim the truth of God's word. That's what it means. To herald or proclaim the truth of God's word from his word. Well, let's now move on to the second question to help us better understand this call to preach. All right, when to preach the word? When to preach the word? Let's, let's answer this question by looking again at verse 2 and notice uh, those words, be ready in season and out of season. We were just actually down, John L. and I were just down at the shootout this morning. I was praying. If you, somebody saw me on TV, I've got a great face for radio. I understand that. All right, it was on TV praying for the shootout. I did this yesterday morning as well. And, and one of the guys when we pulled up, the weather's so much nicer today, but they, he felt like they had three seasons already. Right? On, on Friday, we had summer. Yesterday, we had spring because it rained so much. And today, we have fall. 
all right? It must be going to snow tomorrow. We're going to get them all done, right? But this season here is not, not talking about the seasons in the sense of the, 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 the uh, weather around us, all right? The, the word in season actually means we get the word opportune from this word. It's an opportune time. It's when things are easy and people are receptive, when people aren't falling asleep on Sunday morning, all right? It's opportune when things are favorable. And this out of season, we get the word actually, it's inopportune. It's an inopportune time when things are hard, when people are not receptive, when the, word and, uh, uh, when the world and even maybe some in the so-called church are saying, don't preach the word. It's, yeah, don't preach the word. I mean, that's outdated. You know, preaching the word, that's not effective. You don't preach the word anymore. I mean, you just kind of come out and have some nice TED Talks, and you come and just kind of entertain a little bit and talk about Jesus every once in a while, and it's pretty good. No, 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 no. Even when people are like that, he says, preach the word. In season, out of season. Opportune time, non-opportune time. Right? And, and out, the out of season, we're actually going to see this in version 3 and 4. What I this week, Jay will cover that next week, is one of the out of season times. When it doesn't, it's not an opportune time. Right? In other words, we're to preach the word at all times. There's never a time we are not to preach the word. Well, and you guys are there loving this. We're through two questions already. We only have two more to go. But I warned you about number four, okay? So let's go to number three here. Uh, answer the question, uh, how to preach the word. Well, the last part of verse 2 helps, it with, helps us with that. If you look there, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Reprove, it means to correct by exposing another, another's error so as to bring conviction to their sin. Anybody ever been here the preaching of the word of God and been convicted? Great, about seven of us. Sweet. Oh, Lord, I'm praying for you to work this morning, all right, for all the humble out there. Um, yeah, I have. Yeah, it's what the word does. It, it reproves us. It, it convicts us of sin. It, it also, the next word, rebuke, it's very similar to the word reprove, but it's stronger, and it's used often to describe Jesus' de- dealings with demonic spirits. He rebuked the spirits. There's a certain authority when you hear the word of God preached. And listen, it's not in the preacher. It's in the word. The authority comes from the word, not the preacher. That's why I love we, we shared the preaching duties here. You never can get confused about where the authority comes because we all keep going back to the word. All right, it rebukes. In, in the context of what we've been already seen in 2 Timothy and the verses that immediately follow this, which we'll see next week, it's primarily speaking of the false teachers and those who are being deceived by them. Well, the next word is exhort, encourage. It's the, it's the same word where we get the word Holy Spirit, parakletos, to call alongside to help, to exhort to encourage. If people see their sin and they desire to turn to repent of that sin, you come alongside and you point them to the gospel where real forgiveness and freedom are found. That's what you do. You exhort them. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You exhort people to look to Jesus. Well, and, and, and what is the heart behind all this reproving, rebuking, exhorting? Uh, and, and what's the heart? Well, the next, those last words, with great patience and instruction, or some translations say teaching. Uh, this great patience, it's long-suffering. You're patient with people. They're struggling with sin. And if any of us have, been, have ever struggled with sin, which would be all of us in here, and maybe you're struggling with some besetting sin right now, aren't you thankful people have been patient with you? 
God wants us to be patient as we preach the word and let his word do its work to be patient. And we saw this back in chapter 2 as Paul called Timothy to be an honorable vessel. He says, being patient when wronged. And that was even being patient when wronged by the false teachers. He was saying, be patient. Be an honorable vessel. Be patient. And then the word instruction or teaching, it's, it's presenting the truth. With great patience and present the truth. Don't just point out the error. Present the truth. Point him again to Jesus. True pe- preaching of the word will include both pointing out sin and a call to repent and in, lo- and in loving instruction on what is right, which is ultimately found in the gospel. In other words, the preaching of the word will show people their sin and need for a savior and then point them to the only savior that can save them from the penalty, the power, and the presence of sin, and that is Jesus. So true preaching will do both. It will bring conviction. It will help people see, which would be all of us. See, let me say this. I said this a couple weeks ago. The gospel is for who? Unbelievers or believers? Both. Yes, both. If you think you've graduated from the gospel because you're already in Christ, you got it wrong. I need the gospel every day. I need somebody to remind me Jesus died for my sin, and my only standing before God is because of what Jesus did through his death, burial, and resurrection. That's the only reason I can stand before God and be made right. Every day. Not just one day. You keep going back to Jesus. We need preaching from his word. When we preach his word like it was meant to you, both those things will happen. We'll keep seeing our need for Jesus, and it'll cause us to look up. Lord, I can't do that. I, can't, I keep falling short of loving my wife like Christ loves church. Would you help me? I need you. That's what preaching does. This is how to preach the word. So let's now look at the fourth question to help us better understand the call to preach the word. Why preach the word? Why? Why why do we preach the word? And as I said a few minutes ago, we're going to spend most of our time here. Uh, So don't think that we're going to go as quickly as we did those three, all right? Just hang on. And and, and just, uh, just a friendly warning. To you. This is going to feel like you're, you're drinking out of a fire hose. And, and this, is where, this is a section I've probably cut down to half amount, the amount of information I've got in my notes. All right, just to know that. But this will still feel like you're drinking out a, of a fire hose. So hang on, okay? Buckle your seatbelt. Let's have some fun. Let's look at this and let's answer this question. Why preach the word? Why? We got to know why. All right? The first reason as to why we are preach the word is because it is prescribed by God. It is prescribed by God. Notice the phrase there in verse 1. I solemnly charge you. Paul is speaking on the authority given to him by God. I solemnly charge you. This is not a suggestion. It's an emphatic admonition. And this, this ties right in. I solemnly charge you. We're going to look at the rest of this in a second. Preach the word. And, and not only is this the first reason why it's the most important why if this is the only reason we had as to why we should preach the word is because god said so that's all we need isn't it why we get baptized because god said so are there some other reasons yeah but god said so why do we do it god said that's all we need isn't it because god said now we're going to look at some other reasons but this is the most important one this excuse me this is like an order given by a superior, a superior officer. Those of you who have been in the military, and thank you for serving our country, or maybe you're in the military now, you understand the importance that you must obey your commanding officer. 
people's lives are at stake, aren't they? Those of you who have been trained like that, you understand. You obey because people's lives are at stake. You can't, well, you know, I've got a better idea. Okay, there's your three of your buddies just went down because you didn't obey your commanding officer. This is the same kind of understanding. They'll solemnly charge you. We, we, we obey because God said so. Because people's lives are at stake. Their eternal lives are at stake, aren't they? Well, th- this is also in the present tense. Okay, what's that mean? Right, we've talked about this before. There's a, 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 an aorist tense, which is past t- tense. It's a past action, but it could change. There's a perfect tense, a past action, completed action, result of state of being. It never changes. And there's a present tense, and it just goes on. Just keep going. Keep going. I, so I keep on charging you. I keep on charging you. I keep on charging you. It was continually to be obeyed, not just one time, but all the time. Well, why is it a solemn charge? That, that word, some translations don't have that word. The word is understood, and it's actually the solemn charge is like a compound word, all right? Because the charge is made in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. It's a solemn charge. It's serious business. We're not playing around is what Paul's saying. This isn't, this isn't, this isn't just some secondary issue. This is a first-tier issue. It's serious. Actually, the original language in this phrase allows us to actually read, our God, listen, even Jesus Christ. You see that? What's that pointing to? That Jesus is God. Jesus is God. God the Son, who reminds us that he is God. It's also a solemn charge because since he is God and he has the right and power what? What does it say? To judge the living and the dead. And by his appearing in his kingdom. He will one day return. He will set up his kingdom and he will judge the world. Believers will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and will be judged for those things we've done in faith. Right? Non-believers will stand before the great white throne judgment to show that they didn't meet God's standard and they rejected his son, who's the only one who could meet the standard for them. And this hammers home the fact that, that one, the one we seek to honor in preaching is God. That's who we seek to honor and please in preaching is God. The church is to be committed to, to the preaching of God's word because it's prescribed by God. And that's enough. We can't worry about what man might say about our preaching. The motive for our preaching must be to obey God and to seek to please him in preaching the word. My, my goal this morning is that I might faithfully preach the word of God. And in so doing, it will result in you not saying this. Wow, what a great preacher. But instead, instead saying this. Wow, what a great God. That's my goal. As we walk out of here and say, wow, what a great God we have. Well, why then should we preach the word? Well, 2 Timothy 4.1 answers with because it's prescribed by God. Well, the second reason why we're to preach the word is it points to salvation. It points to salvation. Look back with me at chapter 3, verse 15, which I mentioned a few minutes ago, and notice that phrase, sacred writings, a term again used speaking of the Old Testament. And then notice what Paul says of those sacred writings or the Old Testament. Able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation. The Old Testament contains the wisdom one needs to be rightly related with God and be saved from the penalty of sin. In the Old Testament, it's all right there. All right there. 
Jesus on the road to Emmaus, what he, he began with the law and the prophecy, he preached the Old Testament to bring it up to explain to who he was. Many would say that the people that, during the Old Testament were made right with God by keeping the law. Many would say that. I hope that's not you, because if that's what you think of that, with that many, they're wrong. That's not what the Old Testament teaches. It's completely the opposite of that. The Old Testament did not and does not teach the person is saved by the keeping of the law and participating in the sacrificial system. None of that. People in the Old Testament times were saved just like the people in the New Testament time. They were. There's never been a change in God's plan of salvation from the beginning. It hasn't changed. God's not reactionary. Hey, well, you know, Adam and Eve sinned. I've got to change my plan. My... No, 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 no. It's been the same from the very beginning. And what does it say there? Remember, speaking of the Old Testament passage, look at verse 15 with me. Through faith which is in Christ Jesus. It's talking about the Old Testament. They were made right with God through faith which is in Christ Jesus, just like we are today. People of all time have been saved by only one way, and that's through faith in Christ Jesus. Beginning in Genesis 3.15, we don't have time to break down that passage. We've done it before. I'm sure we'll do it again, but I'm telling you, beginning in Genesis 3.15, it's taught that a Savior from sin would be sent to save the world from sin. And the rest of the Bible shows that that Savior is Jesus. You get a little hint there in 3.15. God's going to do something about this whole sin problem that just happened. And then the rest of the Old Testament points and just paints this picture of who this man is going to be. And by the time he comes on the scene, if you looked at the Old Testament with the right heart and in faith, you couldn't miss it. It was Jesus. That's the guy that God promised from the beginning. He was coming. And all those people who in the Old Testament were made right with God by placing their faith in the promise that the Messiah was to come. And we faith our, place our faith in the promise and the reality that the Messiah did come. And he saved us from the penalty power and presence of sin through his death, burial, and resurrection. It's all the same. Well, as we've already seen in the context of this verse, points to the sacred writings are not just the Old Testament, it's the New Testament. Would be, they could be considered writings of um, uh, the same level of importance, old and new. The main point here is the word of God, the scriptures, point to salvation. The scripture clearly teaches us throughout. The primary message of the Bible is God's plan to save a multitude from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, from the penalty, the power, and the presence of sin. I know I've said that a few times, but I hope you get it, because that's the main point of the Bible. That's what the Bible is all about. That's what they call the meta-narrative. It's the big story of the Bible. Everything supports that. Well, why then should we preach the word? Well, verse 15 answers with this, because it points to salvation through faith in Jesus. To preach anything else is to neglect God's prescribed means through which he communicates the way of salvation. To preach anything else other than his word is not preaching. It's not preaching, and it won't lead to salvation. Well, the third reason as to why we're to preach the word is because it's a product. Just let me tell you, know, I forgot to mention, there's seven reasons if you're counting. Okay, This is number three, and actually we won't deal with the seventh one today. Jay will actually deal with that next week. This, there are seven. Um, but the third reason is a, is a product of God. It's a product of God. Look at verse 16 again with me of chapter three. 
all Scripture is breathed out by God, or God breathed in IV. And I'm just going to do a little confession here. Okay, this is not the New American Standard, which I normally use, because I think it doesn't, it's not clear. The New American Standard says all Scripture is inspired by God. And, and the word is not a bad translation, but in our world today, the word inspired doesn't mean what it meant. Like, oh, I was inspired to do this. No, 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 that's not what this is talking about at all. This word literally means breathed out by God. That's, it's a compound word. We won't get into that. It means to be breathed out by God. That's the, what the word actually means. That's why I like this translation. All Scripture is breathed out by God or God breathed. All right, the Bible speaks elsewhere of the Scripture coming out or being breathed out by God. Such in Matthew, as Matthew 4, 4, look what it says. He answered and said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Also, and that's actually a quote from Deuteronomy 8, 3, Matthew 4. Right? And then Isaiah 45, 23 says this, I have sworn by myself, the word has gone forth from my mouth out of my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back, that to me every knee will bow and every tongue will share allegiance. So why is it important? The difference of God breathing into something or God breathing out something? Think about this. God inspired Paul or wrote through Paul a specific word. He could have said it differently. All right, so why is it important the difference between God breathing into something or God breathing out something? And I love what a guy named John Kitchen says. The scriptures are not a pre-existing body of human literature into which God breathed something divine, but rather they owe their existence to the out-breathing of God's spirit. You see what, I'm, see what he's saying? It wasn't the scripture something that, that man made up and then God blessed it. No, no, no. The scriptures come from God himself. They're a product of God. He's the source of the word of God. Remember, it's the word of God. Yes, he used human authors, and that's a whole other thing we can talk about another time. I've got plenty of material on that. I'd love to talk about that. It's amazing how he used it. But what we have here is exactly what he wanted us to have. Exactly. The main point is Paul is trying to get across is that the scriptures originate from God. They are a product of God. He produced them. He does this, again, through, through, through human authors. And if one of, those, one of those things you want to go, if you want to look at that, 2 Peter, here's another one, 1, 20 through 21. Go read and read that, talking about how he does it. He carries them along, right? Carried them along to produce his word. Well, and therefore, since the, the, script, the scripture is a product of God, it's a divine origin, it's without error. Think about that. If God is without error, which we would agree, then his scripture, his word, must be without error, right? It can't have error. It's not from God. That's what we talk about. This is the big word, the inerrancy of scripture. There's no error. Now, some people try to find discrepancies in error, and they're not. They're easy to dismiss. Right? They're like straw men uh, uh, arguments. They're easy to dismiss. This. God's word is without error. So why then should we preach the word? The first part of verse 16 answers with this because it's a product of God. You know, if you want to know a person, you, you, you don't go to someone else to get the truth about that person, do you? You go to that person. Now, my mom knows a whole lot about me, and she's probably got some good stories to tell you. If you want to make sure my mom comes, you can ask her, all right? But my mom doesn't know me like me. And when we want to get the right information about who God is and what he requires and what he's done, who do we go to? We go to his word. We go to his word. He tells us who he is. 
We preach the word because it's a product of God. Well, the fourth reason as to why we're to preach the word is because it's profitable. It's profitable. Notice verse 16, the word profitable here, all right, um, or useful, some translation, helpful, beneficial, it's advantageous. In other words, it yields a practical benefit. That's what it means, it's profitable. How is it profitable? How does it yield a practical benefit? Well, the rest of verse 16 tells us, look what it says, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That's how it's profitable. That's, that's, that, that's how it's useful to instruct in God, teaching the instruct the truths of God. Um, uh, and then to re- reprove or rebuke, the NIV says, correct again by exposing another's error, right? To bring conviction. Uh, then the third, correction, restoring something to an upright state, improvement, restoration. As the teaching of Scripture reproves or exposes our sin, then the Scripture restores or rebuilds, builds us up. It's similar to lifting weights. Okay, when you, if you lifted weights or worked out, you haven't done it for a long time, what happens? You get sore. Well, what's happening? The muscle is being torn down so it can be built back up. That's what God's word. Sometimes it tears us down, but it always comes behind to build us back up, to, to restore us. And then the fourth thing it mentions is training in righteousness. The word training can have the meaning of training up a child or training in just in general. And th- this is a train that leads us in righteousness, in our thought, in our speech, in our behavior. The word, wouldn't you agree, is profitable because it teaches us how to think rightly about God and how to live our lives to glorify God. Our, our greatest motivation for living a righteous life should be this, to bring glory to God. Not to impress other people, not to make ourselves feel good, but to bring glory to God. And his word, God speaks his word, and it gets inside of us, right, and transforms us by the renewing of our mind. So we know his perfect goodwill, and when we can do it for his glory. Well, why then should we preach the word? Well, the last part of verse thir- uh, of chapter 3, verse 15, 16 says, because it's profitable. Well, the fifth reason as to why we're to preach the word is because it prepares. It prepares. Notice verse 17 there in chapter 3. Notice the word complete. Some translations say adequate, capable, proficient, sufficient. It means this, able to meet all demands, right? Able to meet all demands. It prepares us for all things. Also notice the word equipped, all right? It means furnished. We're given everything we need. It furnishes with everything that we need. Uh, this emphasis in, 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 is the point of the scri- it, scriptures is it completely prepares us as a believer. Completely. There's nothing left out. Let me see. This, this is another word that people use all the time. Maybe you've heard of it. The sufficiency of scripture. It is sufficient. We don't need anything else. We don't need a book of Mormon. We don't need an addition to God's word. We've got the word of God. That's all we need. That's it. We don't need anything else. Sean and I do these clinics at FC Football. I'm going to throw you in the bus here, Sean. And I love what Sean says. He talks about, he stands up at the beginning of our clinic, and he says, hey, we're going to draw all these principles of leadership with these coaches and quarterbacks in public schools, let me add to you. All right, we're going to draw all from God's word. Here's why. Because we believe it's completely inerrant and it's sufficient. You could throw every other, I love this, you could throw every other book in this school away I'm going, yeah, <laughs> and all the boys are like, yeah, let's throw them all away, and the Bible would be enough, and you know what? It would be enough. It would be enough, not to learn about science or anything like that, but it would be enough to honor the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's what we're talking about here. 
And notice it says there for what? Every good work. The word every, you know what it means in the Greek? Every. Every good work. It means every single good work. Look with me at Ephesians 2.10 just to prove that. All right? For his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. He created us for not, we weren't saved by good works, we were saved, all right, for good works. Not by, but for. The word of God prepares us to do good works that God has so graciously laid out before us. And notice, too, that, that verse 17 says, again, every good work, Right? Not just some, again, every. And we're reminded of this truth again in 2 Peter 1.3. Seeing that his divine power, I love this, has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. How? Through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Say it again. That we, we, we see, seeing that his divine power has granted us everything we need for life, or pertaining to life and godliness. Through what? through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Where do we find the true knowledge of him, Jesus? In the word of God. That's where we find. And he's given us in that everything we need for life and godliness. Everything. The scripture prepares sufficiently for every good work. Why then should we preach the word? Verse 17 answers with, because it prepares. It prepares us to be godly husbands, to be godly wives, godly children, godly friends, godly workers. It prepares us to serve others, to pray. It prepares. Well, the sixth reason as to why we're to preach the word is, is because it's the pattern of Scripture. And this, this is one that guaranteed could be a standalone sermon and where I just, just cut a ton of stuff out because it was going to be like another hour. All right? I was so pumped about this. But let me say, it's the pattern of Scripture. That's why. All right? From the very beginning... God's people gathered together to listen to God's word and seek to obey it. That's what they did. God used his word. Listen, let's just think about this. From the very beginning, God used his word to speak the world and all the worlds and all the universes into existence. He said a word, and it was so. Go read Genesis 1. By his word, the worlds were created. God gave his word to Adam and Eve so they could love and obey him and enjoy perfect fellowship with him. And in Genesis 3, the enemy came and he attacked God's word. He called God's word into question. If you remember this, I think we dealt with this a few weeks ago. He, he, he questioned God's word, all right? Eve added to God's word, right? And then what happened? They disobeyed God's word. They rejected God's word, both Adam and Eve. God then proclaimed um, and preached his word that, that he would send someone to save in Genesis 3.15. God preached that. He, he proclaimed that truth. In the meantime, their sin would separate them from God and, and, and place them under his just wrath. Then God would use Abraham to preach his word of being made right with God through faith in the one to come. Moses would also preach God's word to his people. God used many prophets to preach his word to his people. One of my favorite examples, we've, we dealt with this back when we were looking at 1 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, I've got the shirt on under here to prove it. All right. Uh, what happened in, 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 in Nehemiah, all right? We, we discussed this back in, in Nehemiah. Here's what happened. After they finished rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem, listen to what the people did. I love this. 
Nehemiah 8.1, and all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to what? Bring the book. Bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. He said, bring the book. They said, bring the book. We want to hear from God. That's why they said, bring the book. It was God's word. We want to hear from God. Bring the book. And that's what they did. Ezra and others stood up and they preached and they proclaimed God's word and explained God's word to the people. And their lives were changed forever. Then the fullness of time, God brought forth the Son to redeem those who were born under the law. God sent forth his Son to redeem, to rescue, to save. And isn't it beautiful that he begins John, which we, we sang just a few minutes ago in the song we sang right before I got up here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in verse 14, and what happened? And the Word came and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as the, as the only begotten, full of grace and truth. That he gave his son and had John call him the Word. The Word. The Word of God. The true Word of God. And when Jesus started his public ministry, it was, listen to what he did. He preached the kingdom of God as a hand. It says that he preached. Jesus preached. Hey, if Jesus preached, I'm with Jesus. If Jesus said preaching was enough, preaching was, one, was the thing that God used to bring the, his, his word to his people, then I'm with Jesus. Anybody's against Jesus, hey, I'm not with you, right? I'm not saying anybody in here, but I'm not with them, right? Preach the word because Jesus did. And he sent his disciples out to do what? Preach the word. And when Paul came along, what did he do? He said, preach the word. He says, woe unto me if I do not preach the gospel. Preach the word. Why do we preach the word? Well, we preach the word because it's the clear pattern of Scripture. Well, the seventh reason as to why to preach the word is it addresses the perilous times. And you see that in verses 3 and 4, and I'm not covering that today. Jay's got 3 through 5 next week, and, and I'm sure he'll do a great job covering that. Well, so what? What difference does all this make? Well, I think it's been clear. It makes a difference, doesn't it, if we preach the word or not? It makes a difference. And, 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 and the seven reasons why should be enough. The first one should be enough, Right? Because it's prescribed by God. He commands us to preach the word. That's all we need. And true preaching will only always ultimately lead to the cross. Have we talked about the cross this morning? You bet we have. It will always lead to Jesus because it's all about Jesus. We proclaim the truth of this. The, the God of all the universes. The holy, perfect, loving God created man in his image. And then man turned on God and disobeyed God and sinned, and didn't follow after God, didn't give God glory. They made much of themselves and they made much of God, and it separated God from man. And because God is a just God, he must punish sin. But he's a loving God, and he will forgive sin. And how do you do that? In the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to die to pay the, sin, uh, the penalty that I deserve, and the penalty you deserve for your sin. Because he made him who had no sin, Jesus, to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteous of God in him. That's what he did. That's how much he loved us. His justice was met in his son. He poured out his wrath on his, God, on his son. He became, the, it's, a, it's a word we don't see a lot in our English translation, the propitiation. 
to turn away the wrath of God from us and put it on his son. And he died the perfect death, and then he rose again to conquer sin and death. Isn't that good news? That's why it's called the gospel. It points right to what Jesus did for us. And if you've never, ever turned from trusting yourself and trusting in Jesus, I would pray today would be the day you'd do that. Why? Because preaching the word of God has told us it gives us the wisdom that leads to what? Salvation. And I pray that today would be your time of salvation. Well, before we, we dismiss here, I want to make this, make this known too. We're going to have people down here at the front. If you want to pray with somebody, if you've got questions, if you want to turn from trusting yourself and trusting the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved, we'll have people down here who can pray with you to answer some questions for you. Whatever it is that you need, please come and see those people. All right? Would you pray with me now? Lord, we exalt you, the king of the universe. And Lord, thank you for the privilege we have to be committed to the preaching of your word. Lord, because you've called us to do that. You've commanded that we do that. We trust you to use your word through the proclamation of your word to bring about change in all of us, to bring about salvation. Lord, there's even other scriptures to talk about. It's the preaching of the word that brings about sanctification, to make us more like Jesus in, in, our, in our attitudes and in, in our actions. Lord, we, we thank you for that, and we pray that you would now use the preaching of your word to spread the gospel around this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to do something a little bit different here to end our time this morning. Um, we're going to sing in response to the preaching of the Word of God. We're going to respond to, to what we just heard from God's Word. We're going to do it through song, and we're going to do it, through, we're going to sing the whole song. We just sang a, a little bit of the song beforehand, the Word of God is spoken. And, and may we respond to the truth of God's Word this morning by singing from our hearts, with our lips, our love for God and His Word. And I want you to take special notice of the chorus and refrain. The Word of God is spoken. We are changed forever. The power of sin is broken. We are free. We are running to salvation. We have been delivered. The word of God is spoken. We are free. From age to age, the word will stand forever in all men. Stand together.